So let's turn in our Bibles. We're just going to look at one verse to start with. I know that's kind of unusual, uh, but I want to start right at the end of Colossians. Last couple of weeks, we've talked about how at the beginning of Colossians, Colossians 1, we find that beautiful set of verses where he says that everything was created by him. This is Jesus. Everything was created by him. Everything was created through him. And everything was created for him. That that is the order of life. And when we get that order, everything comes into line. When we get the order that everything starts with Him, everything should be done through Him and everything done for Him. If you can look at your life and say everything falls into those categories, then we know that we're on the right track. Because He is the beginning and the end. He is the beginning and the end. And if He's the beginning and the end, He's the middle too. And so we understand that just beneath that, a couple of verses later it says He is the firstborn of the dead, so that He may come to have first place in everything. Now we believe this is the time there are, there are things shifting, there are people moving into different places and being set into different places and God is the one that sets you in the place that He's desired for you to be in. But here's the formula that you can use. When you put Jesus in His proper place, you'll be placed in your proper place. You want to be in your place? You want to be set in the place that God has for you? The best thing you can do is put Jesus in His place, at the top. And when you put Him at the top, you find that He, I mean, as the Scripture says, when you're humbling yourself, that is exalting Him, saying, you're first place, you're everything, you are the reason. And when you do that, the Bible says He exalts you. When you put Him where He belongs, He puts you where you belong. And that's a wonderful thing. Because we've traded our, <laughs> our messes, our cracks, our brokenness, we've traded all of that for His perfection, His love, His grace, His goodness. It's a good trade. It's a good exchange. And this is what He's done for us. And when we realize that, that uh, this next year, like we said, God doesn't start things on January 1st and wrap them up December 31st. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't say, well, the calendar says this has to be a new year. I've got to come up with a new phrase. I've got to come up with a new thing. It's a better rhyme. This is not how God thinks. It's a continual movement. It's a continual race that's been run since the beginning of time. And as we've said so many times already this year, Hebrews says it very clearly, that as we run the race, there are those that have run their part of the race, and they're cheering us on, but they're not finished until we finish. That means we're not all running our own races. We're running our own part of the great relay race. So when somebody finished their course, they didn't finish one single race. They just finished their part of the race. And it's up to us to take up where they left off and keep running. And so we understand that uh, in, in this year, even though, even though God didn't start something new this year, we are shifting into new seasons and new things. We've been experiencing a time of transition for a few months now. And we understand that that means that God will, at times, shift people, maybe move you in different directions, maybe set you in different places. And you have to be open to that, joyful about it, because it's God's doing. And bold, bold as a lion, to know that um, it's not me that does this. As Paul said, I am least fit to be called an apostle. I don't fit, I don't qualify, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So in Colossians chapter 4, right at the end, 
We're going to read in verse 16. He says, when this... I should let you get there, huh? I hear flipping. 16. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus... Now, I know we've, we've already got a name for our boy. I told the church in Loon like this. We've already got a name for the boy. Archippus is out. But you're welcome to take it. You can pick that one up for your kids. Archippus, you can go by Archie. You know? So, <laughs> here's what he says to Archippus. Take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry that you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Now, we only see this fellow, Archippus, two times in the New Testament. Here, and then in the letter to Philemon. We can take a little bit of guessing. Now, now everything else I'm going to say tonight, I'm going to try my best to just stick to the Word. But can I give you a little conjecture, just a little opinion? So you separate this. This is opinion, okay? You don't have to go home and uh, confess this three times tonight. This is just opinion. But you could do a little detective work and jump to the conclusion that Archippus was actually a preacher's kid because there's a very personal letter that Paul writes to Philemon. If you've ever read that book, you know it's a pretty personal letter. It's about uh, Philemon had a servant that ran away. Uh, It's hinted at that he might have taken some stuff when he ran away. And Paul says, whatever he's done, whatever wrong he's done to you, charge it to my account. And uh, so he's saying, you know, this is a brother in the Lord. He's become a brother in the Lord. Let him off. Uh, Just give him his freedom and, and whatever he took, you act like I took it. But right at the beginning of the letter, he addresses it to Philemon, to another lady, to a sister named Aphia, and to this guy, Archippus. So scholars have kind of drawn the opinion that that may have been the family. That Philemon, of course, being the father, Aphia being the wife, and Archippus being the son. Now, you don't have to draw that conclusion. It's just a little bit of guesswork because it was a personal letter. It was, that was the house of Philemon. That's the guess. Either way, this guy's young and he's in ministry. He's called a fellow soldier in Christ by Paul in the other letter. And yet here he's, he's commanded, he's told to take heed to the ministry that he's received. That means pay attention to it. Now if he had to be commanded to pay attention, we could, we could also kind of figure out that maybe he hadn't been paying attention to it. Maybe he had just assumed it was there and at the right time it'd come out or, or maybe he just assumed it was there and, and uh, it would just bubble out of him whenever it needed to bubble out of him. But Paul says you need to take heed. You need to pay attention to it. You need to look at it. You need to consider it. Because if you don't, you won't fulfill it. Is it possible to receive a ministry and not fulfill a ministry? It seems to. And the Apostle Paul said it about himself many times. He says, I do this so that I will not have run in vain, so that it won't be a waste of time. I I do this so that I may fulfill the ministry that's been given to me. And here he says to him, take heed. Here's what you need to do. He doesn't say try harder, he doesn't say work harder, but he says take heed, pay attention to what God put in you. Look at it, study it, think about it, so that you can fulfill it. Now you, in this room, we've not all been called to the same ministry as Archippus. We've not all been called to the same ministry as Timothy or Titus. We, you may not have all been called to the five 
types of ministry mentioned in Ephesians 4. But whatever you were created for, you were created for that. You were given, and the Bible says, as each one, Peter writes, as each one has received a unique and special gift, employ it in serving one another. Put it to use. It means as, as each of us has received something, use it. Do you hear that? Just because you receive something doesn't mean it's being used. And he has to write, as each one of you has received a gift, use the gift that God's given you in the serving of one another in love. And it says that we are all co-laborers, stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here he says to this guy, if you don't... I mean, and I'm kind of working at it backwards here. But if he says, take heed that you may fulfill it, we can kind of put together that he's also saying, if you don't take heed, you might not fulfill the ministry that God's given you. So we've all been given some sort of ministry, yes? Too often we say, are you in the ministry to somebody that's called to minister to the church? As I said before, in Ephesians 4, there's five types of gifts that were given to the church. Now there's more than that, but there's five he lists that are for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, and pastor, these were gifts that were to equip the saints so that they could do ministry. So that tells me that every saint is called to ministry. So when we say you're in the ministry, of course we're all in the ministry. And there is something that God has put you that fits perfectly into the body of Christ. And He says, here's the deal. Take heed so that you can fulfill it. We always kind of assume that there will be just this moment. Maybe you've daydreamed about it. There will be a moment where we're standing in a crowd. We're walking in the mall. And all of a sudden, God possesses you. And your head spins around and you somehow do whatever you are made to do and everyone sees it and they go I recognize the gift of God in you and you go finally it came out like, it, like it's just supposed to just at the right time pop out of you but, but that's not often how it works it doesn't usually happen quite that way and maybe you've become so event driven that you think the only time ministry is ministry is when it happens at an event like a church service or a crusade or some sort of other outreach some sort of planned event but do you know that we were never created just for events it's just something we've kind of worked ourselves into that we think the big time the big show this is what we arrive at we'll have an event and everybody sits in a chair and I do whatever I'm called to do but that's not really what everybody's supposed to do. And if you're waiting for that moment, maybe you're missing some of the best moments because you've been called to life. You've been called to your life. That is your ministry. And there are going to be opportunities every day for you to live out that ministry. It may not be an event. It can be every moment you come in contact with somebody else. Every moment you get on your knees before the Lord. That there are moments that God has called you to that don't necessarily mean everybody showed up at a prescribed time and showed up to see you do something. That's kind of a North American way of thinking. But let's go back to God's way of thinking. How did Jesus walk out His ministry? There were times where He taught... There were times where he had a sermon on a mountain. 
And there were other times where he was just going about his life, ministering to people as he went along. He sees somebody with a withered hand. He heals the person with a withered hand. He sees something wrong in the temple. He fixes what's wrong in the temple. There's a time to pray. He goes and prays. When he's in the boat and the storm comes, he doesn't say, well, this isn't a church service. I'm not prayed up. I haven't spent time preparing for this storm. He just gets up and calms the storm. This is our life. It's not, we're not waiting for these events to come to us. We're, we're expecting that God can use you right now. Now maybe God has shown you a bigger thing. Maybe God's shown you a crowd. Maybe God's shown you, maybe you've got that picture in your mind and that is wonderful. What does whatever God's called you to, what does that look like right now though? Because you, you, we all kind of imagine, I used to do this as a kid. I used to imagine that I would go from doing nothing to doing everything like in a day. That in my dream, somebody would say something, something would happen that I'd go from just sitting in the back row to being on stage or something like that. But that's not how it usually works. Most of the time, it's cultivating the gift that God's placed inside of you. Most of the time, it's cultivating it, using it as it arrives, using it as moments come. If you are, if you are an evangelist, evangelize. Don't wait till somebody sends you to Africa. You have people around you all the time. I know we live in Canada. It's not as crowded as other places. But you still run into hundreds of people every week. I mean, unless you're a total shut-in and buy your groceries online and all of that. At least the delivery guy shows up. You don't have to wait till your face is on a poster for God to use you. And this is the thing. If God puts something in you, He puts something in each and every one of you. Now, now remember, there are tasks in the body of Christ that are vital, that, that nobody ever sees. And God said, you'll get more honor than everybody else. You'll get more honor than that dude on the, on the stage. You'll get more honor than the person with the microphone. You'll get more honor with the per, than the person with the name on the poster because your honor comes directly from God. But listen, whatever it is, take heed to what that is. Begin to seek the Lord. Now listen, there are things... I mean, sometimes we get so caught up in looking for our special gift that we neglect the gift that we all have. Sometimes we're just so caught up on what makes me different than everybody else. Sometimes you need to focus on what makes us the same. <laughs> what makes us all the same? We have all been called. We have all been given the ministry of reconciliation. Mark 16 applies to all of us. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Cast out evil spirits. All of these things make disciples of all nations. All of these things apply to us. And so there are a lot of things. Sometimes we get so caught up going, what's my special place in the body that you, you, you end up looking for it and never finding it because what you're seeking is not what God wants. What you're seeking is something to make you stand out and something to make you different. But you don't need to do that. God has already made you unique, special and a big part of his body don't don't go looking for something unique go for looking for what god has called you to go looking for for opportunities let god bring them to you and then as you begin to work that out who you are comes it comes to the surface i mean it becomes evident to all philip 
was not called Philip the Evangelist till way later in the book of Acts. He was Philip the deacon when he started out. How did he get the nickname Philip the Evangelist? He just started going preaching to people. He didn't say, well, I'm a deacon now. My job is to make sure widows get fed. My job is to make sure homeless people get, get uh, clothes. And then, you know, maybe sometime uh, we'll have a big service and um, they'll say, we are changing your name from Philip the Deacon to Philip the Evangelist. And then I'll have the right to put my name on some posters and go out and have my own team and go win people to the Lord. That's not what happened. People, get, people got scattered because of persecution. Nobody intended to go reach the world. We think about the church, the early church, with that fresh word from Jesus, go into all nations. Start here in Judea. Go to Samaria. Go to the ends of the world. And we think of them with that fire in their heart saying, yes, we will go. But in reality, they said, no, we like to stay. Because Jerusalem is a big church and we like big church and we like to all be in the same place and it's fun here and, and we all have our buddies and have our friends. And it didn't happen until they all got scared off that they started going where they were supposed to go. They had to get scared out of Jerusalem. Philip did not go to Samaria because God gave him a vision for Samaritans. And he had a burning heart and said, God spoke to me about the Samaritan people and I cannot sleep another night until I see them born again. Oh, there's a fire shut up in my bones and I cannot rest until all of Samaria is saved. He didn't. He said, I got to get out of here. They're going to kill me. He started running and realized, I'm in Samaria. I could preach here. I don't know if that's exactly how it happened. But the Bible directly says that they were scattered, not because they had a fire in their hearts, but because of persecution. But once he got there, he figured out what he was made for. He started to preach. He started to share the gospel with everybody he came in contact with. You know what? He probably wasn't that good at it. Can I tell you why I think that? Because by the time the apostles came along, he hadn't even told people about the Holy Spirit. They said, you guys didn't hear about the Holy Spirit? Well, let's get that. All right, you guys, you guys need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Philip's like, oh yeah, right, that. <laughs> I was going to get to that. I mean, I was going to get to that. I knew it was something I was missing. You know, I wasn't trained for this. But he does it. He gets people healed. He gets people born again. He has that great meeting with the Ethiopian eunuch. Baptizes him on the spot. And he gets the nickname, after the fact, Philip the Evangelist. And his daughters, they didn't automatically get called to be evangelists because daddy was an evangelist. It turned out that God wanted them to be prophets. So we see that uh, probably the best thing you can do is say, how can I work out the gifts that God's put in me right now? Rather than daydreaming about some big fantasy moment where Prince Charming comes and a big pumpkin carriage comes by and picks me up for my gift, maybe I can just start using it now. I work with some people. Hey, I know how to pray for people. I know how to pray for sick people. There are sick people all over the place. 
Maybe start there. You, need, you know people that need Jesus. You've got the word of reconciliation. Hey, there you go. Hey, if you've been called to serve, called to help, hey, there are always sidewalks, whether it be the church or widows or, or just people that just can't, I mean, just got, got to the point where they're a little bit too old to do it. There's always some stuff to get done. And God will honor that. But take heed to it. Don't just leave it alone, guys. Don't just wait. Pay attention. Watch for it. Let's turn to the book of uh, 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, you probably know where I'm going here. Now, Timothy is called to be a pastor, right? Are we all called to be pastors? No. So, you can look at this book and you can say, well, this doesn't have to do with me. I'm not called to this. But um, there are some constants. There's a reason this is in the Bible. There are some constants that apply to all of us. In fact, most of the book is, I mean, in fact, every single word you can get something out of. All scriptures, God breathes. And it's all scriptures profitable. So even if you say, well, I'm not called to the same thing as Timothy, you can, you can look at his life and see how he walked through it. Now here's a young guy. A young guy that traveled with Paul, right? The people came out and they liked Paul. He's a good preacher. He had signs and wonders following him. Boy, I bet they wish that Paul would stay forever. Then Paul says, I got to go. Everybody goes, oh man, really? Don't worry, I'm leaving my little buddy Timothy. You know that everybody tried to be happy. Everybody tried to clap for Timothy. But you know what everybody's thinking. Oh, well, I guess Timothy will do. This young punk, right? They've come to respect Paul, trained for years as a rabbi, trained under the great Gamaliel. Oh, this guy, then born again. Hey, this guy's the guy that's ministering at our church. And then he goes, okay, I'm leaving this guy in charge, this young whippersnapper, Timothy. And everybody goes, praise the Lord. Oh, come on. How old is he, like 20? Oh, praise the Lord, Timothy. So glad, brother. Glad to have you here in our church. The older men are thinking, great. i got to listen to a young guy tell me how to live my life who's lived half as long as I have. The women are thinking, I changed his diapers. He's going to tell me what I'm doing. So you can understand how Timothy might be, Paul, can you not leave me? Can I just keep traveling with you for the rest of my life? That's why Paul later on has to say, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Now, another reason he had to say that is because by Timothy just identifying with Paul, he had a target on his back from the persecution. But let's look at this for a moment. 1 Timothy 4. He says, in verse 11, Prescribe and teach these things. Which things? Well, I wish we had time, but in verse 1 through 9, uh, he speaks about some of the ways that people get off track. One of the ways is uh, by just kind of hanging on to myths and fables and 
little side stories and he says these are only fit for old women stay away from these things teach the things which are profitable for sound doctrine and I know that's not as exciting sometimes especially when you've been going to church for 20 years you want to hear something you've never heard before but often the best stuff is the stuff you've heard and you get a new revelation of he says don't go chasing those little myths and fables those little side stories there's plenty of that today guys we're not going to get into that. He says, verse 11, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. But rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Now I love that he just doesn't say to Timothy, You're entitled. Don't let anyone look down on you. You just stand up for yourself. No, he says, Don't, look any, don't let anyone look down on you. And here's how you keep them from looking down on you. Live what you believe. Live what you preach. Show them. They may, be, they may be a bit slow coming around at first, but show them. Be an example. And he says this, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. You hear that? Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. Think about what that means. What does it mean to neglect a child? If you neglected, if you if a child was being neglected, that doesn't mean that it doesn't necessarily mean that you uh, hated them. Doesn't necessarily mean that you hit them, or you abused them that way. But neglect means you didn't pay attention to them, you didn't take care of them, you acted like they weren't there. Think about it. The stuff you did. Now I'm thinking about this because I'm about to have a child and I'm thinking about what that means to me. But the stuff you did before you had a kid, you can't just go on living that same life and pretending that nothing's changed. And life before God came in is not life that you live right now. And God has blessed you with so many great gifts. You can't just go on like they're not there. Because if you do... Hey, you'll still go to heaven. Hey, Jesus will still love you. Hey, you know what? His grace is still sufficient for you. But you'll miss out on the great things that He wanted to do through you through those gifts. So He has to say to Timothy, He doesn't say, Watch out, because one of these days, that gift is going to come out of you. No. He says, Don't neglect it. Don't neglect the gift within you. He says this, not only are you not to neglect it, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on the hands of by the presbytery. Not, everybody's, not every gift that God's ever given is bestowed in this manner. This was the way that Timothy received it, mainly because he was called to a position of authority in the church. And when you're called to a position of authority in the church, there needs to be that commending by these older ministers. There needs to be that uh, placement. There needs to be... People need to see that you're not just uh, usurping a position. You're not just taking it. You need, people need to see that there are other godly men and women who acknowledge that this is a gift in you and they're willing to take a chance on you. But, and it's not a chance, but you know what I mean. He says, take pains with these things. That doesn't mean focus on it till it hurts. It means take care with these things. Spend time with these things you need to just really look at the things now remember sometimes we look so hard for the one thing that God gave us that he gave no one else that we miss the greatest things there are things in you that no one else has amen 
But don't just focus on those. Focus on all the good things that God put in you. And take pains with them. That means actually go and, and think about them. Hey, if God's called you to, to, to a certain part of the body, if you've got a kind of a vision of what that is, find it in the Word. Find where it is in the Bible. Find verses that apply to it. And you meditate on those verses. Spend time on them. Don't just expect that this is magically going to come out of you. You cultivate it like you cultivate anything else. Begin to look in the Word and say, where am I in this book? What, what applies to me? What has God said about what He's called me to do? And make that your homework. Make that your life. Make that your joy and delight. If you have to be like some of the people in this church and, and print it out and put it on your wall, then do that. But whatever you do, take care with these things. And he says, not only to take care with these things, or pains with these things, he says, be absorbed in them. Another translation says, give yourself over to them. Like, give yourself completely to these things. Remember, we talked about God being first, Jesus being first in our life. Here he's saying, if God has put something in you, if God has blessed you with this gift, he's put it inside of you, give yourself to it. That gift is not meant to serve you. That gift is meant to serve the kingdom. That gift is, 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 is for His purpose, His glory. So it's, it's, gifts are not to elevate yourself. They are not to put yourself in a position. They're not to get you somewhere. They are uh, just the best way to put it is service, ministry. Just as Jesus did for us, so now we do through His strength, through His grace, through His anointing. So He says, be absorbed in them kind of sounds like you're obsessed doesn't it and that's okay when it's from God and he says so that your progress will be evident to all do you see there's progress it's not an off switch and then an on switch and so many times we think of the gifts that God's given to us like that like they're off right now and there'll be a moment in time where they get turned on that's not usually the way it goes. It's about progress. It's about growing. It's about being built up in these things. Just like you didn't, you know, you didn't uh, go from being a, a little tiny baby to a full-grown adult. There was progress. And, and even with Timothy here, he doesn't say, hey, you'll be surprised. Tomorrow you're going to be a different man. He says, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, and here's what's going to happen. People are going to notice progress. It's going to be evident to everybody that there's progress in your life. So that implies to me that you've got to start somewhere. And the best place to start is where you are. Now maybe you had a dream of preaching in front of thousands. What does that look like today? That looks like, to me, that would look like you getting yourself in the Word. That would look like telling everybody you come in contact with about Jesus. Sharing the gospel wherever you go, living the gospel. As Paul said to the slaves in Titus, he says, you know, even though you're in a rotten position and, and you guys are slaves, he says, live it out this way. Work is under the Lord. And he says, in this way you will adorn your doctrine. You will wear what you believe. Wearing what you believe does not mean going to the Christian bookstore and buying a Christian t-shirt. You can do that, but that's not wearing what you believe. 
Wearing what you believe means preaching with your life. And people see progress. People notice progress. Thank God you're not doing it for them. But they will notice. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Isn't it interesting to you that paying attention to yourself came before paying attention to your teaching? What does that mean to you? To me, let me tell you what that means to me. That means my spiritual walk, my spiritual life, my relationship with Jesus is more important than the things I do for Him. That I've got to first look after my own, my own relationship with Jesus and make sure I'm not just doing something because it needs to get done. That you've got to first pay attention to yourself. Look at your life and say, am I plugged into the vine? Am I fully walking in the love of God? Am, am I... Am, Am, do I have a relationship that I'm looking for with Jesus? Is that there? Because if I just start doing things for the sake of doing things, that could become a snare in my life. Isn't it funny? The good things that God's created us for could become a snare if you let it crowd out your relationship with Jesus himself. That's happened to many and many men and women. They just get so caught up in the ministry that they just... They lose that. I'm sure all of us could say that's happened to us, actually. Maybe we weren't public on TV and everybody saw it, but in different ways, it's easy to let the things we do get in, way, get in the way of the relationship we have. And I've told you this example before, but every time we fly, every time you get on an airplane, they show you everything that could go wrong, which is delightful at the beginning of the flight. The first thing you want to think of when you get on a plane is what to do if we're about to die. What to do if we crash. That's exactly what you want to be thinking about, right? But what they show you is, uh, one of the things they show you is when that oxygen mask pops down. And we've talked about this, but when that oxygen pops down, what do they tell you? If you have a small child, your temptation is to, is to take care of the child first, the old Titanic thing, women and children first. But... Here's what you need to do. Put that mask on yourself first, then on your child. And the reason they tell you to do that is because if you don't put the mask on yourself first, you could pass out, and then who's going to put the mask on the kid? So if you're so caught up in what God's called you to everything else, and you neglect your very relationship, your, your spiritual life, you may pass out, burn out, and be no help to anybody. You've got to be full in order to pour something out. And he says, pay close attention to yourself and pay close attention to your teaching. Now, teaching was one of his gifts. That may not be your gift. In fact, James says, don't let too many of you want to be teachers. He said, <laughs> he said not many of you should want to be the teachers. So not everybody's a teacher. That's his gift. So substitute whatever God's put you, whatever place you have, whatever he's called you to do, put, put yourself there. Pay close attention to yourself and to what God's put inside of you. Persevere in these things. Why? Because there's going to come a time, and he had to say this to Timothy, preach in season and out of season. There will come a time when people don't like what you're doing. There'll come a time when we imagine that the gift is what's going to make us great. The gift is going to, what's going to make us special. The gift is what's going to make us stand out. Often it's the gift that gets you in trouble. That's why Paul had to say, 
God has not given you the spirit of timidity or cowardice, Timothy. You've got to preach. You've got to stand up. God's given you a spirit of love which makes you want to minister. Which, which sees the need and, and says, I've got something for you. He's given you a spirit of power which says, I can give them something. I have what they need. And a sound mind which doesn't let you get all off and back into fear and doubt and running away. He says this, persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, salvation can mean a lot of different things. In this case, I don't believe he's speaking about salvation from hell. Because in the context of this verse, he's been talking about false teaching. And he's saying that many will fall away. Many will, will go off and get off the rails. And he says, here's how you save people from doing that. Fill your spot. God called you to teach, brother. God called you to pastor. And if you don't do what God called you to do, these people may get off track. But when you step in, up and say, this is who I am, this is my place, he says, you will save yourself and save a lot of other people. Because God's designed you uniquely. And you're the one that's meant to fill that gap. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we've quoted it a couple times tonight, but I want to read it to you so that you can see it yourself. He says in verse 2, To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. I can only imagine why Timothy was crying. Because he was being separated from Paul. Because he was being left by himself. Because it wasn't easy what he was called to. But he says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us. Listen to that. He has saved us and He has called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works. That means whatever God put inside of you, He did not put inside of you because of your qualifications. He put it inside of you and that gave you qualifications. He said, who saved us and called us not according to our own works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Listen, what he's saying is, the reason we got appointed to anything was because God had a purpose. Because God has a divine purpose, and somehow we fit into it. And Timothy... I have to remind you as many times as I have to write you a letter, I will write you a letter telling you, don't forget what God put inside of you. 
don't forget it. In, in the first letter, he says, don't neglect it. In the second letter, he says, kindle it afresh. Maybe, he, maybe Timothy got it in a rut. Maybe, maybe he kind of just backed off a little bit. It'd be easy to back off when people are threatening to put you in jail for what you're saying. But here's what he says. Kindle it afresh. Stir it up. Fan the flame inside of you because God has not given us a spirit of timidity. That means, friends, that there will be plenty of things that will try to intimidate you from walking out what God put inside of you. There will be people, plenty of people who try to intimidate you. To be intimidated is to have timidity kind of put on you. To have timidity forced on you. But don't be intimidated. Don't give in to timidity. God has not given you that spirit. He gave you a spirit of love. You know when that love takes over. When you really just let, be, let yourself be absorbed and saturated in that love. You're going to desire to see those gifts inside of you come out. It's not going to be forced, right? Because when you have that love, you see, I'm the one who carries the water that that thirsty person needs. I'm the one that's got the bread that that starving guy needs. And I love you enough. I love the people that God loves enough to not neglect what He put in me for their for their pleasure, for their, not pleasure, but for their, for their use, for their, their own purpose. I mean, for the, God put these in me. He put these gifts inside of me. He put these gifts inside of you for a reason. Somebody needs it. Somebody needs what you have. And when you have that spirit of love, you say, I've got that. And that spirit of power lets you walk it out. That sound mind keeps you from backing off when things get hard. Or from running outside your own lane and being disqualified. God has called you to something great. All of you. I'm encouraging you tonight. You put Jesus in His place. He'll put you in yours. You put Him first, but perhaps, perhaps it's going to take you really taking heed to something that you've neglected. I appreciate godly imagination I appreciate godly dreams and visions and I think I think all of us can say there have been moments that that was what fueled us to go on is that we for the joy set before us we saw it but don't wait for that don't wait for that moment to come before you start kindling what God's put in you don't wait till you stand in front of thousands to start preaching don't wait until your name's on a poster and start praying for the sick. Don't wait until you can lead a team of 20 before you help somebody shovel a walk. Be faithful in the little things. God will make you ruler over much. It is God who exalts you in due time. It's He who raises up the humble. Keep your heart in the right place and God will exalt you. But cultivate what God has put inside of you. Don't neglect it. Take heed to it. Maybe you were waiting for somebody to point it out. I understand that. A lot of us don't want to step out of our place. Some, some of us don't want to step on anybody's toes. I appreciate that. You're probably coming from the right place where, where you're saying, listen, I, I just don't want to be out of place. I'm not telling you you need to be out of place. But I am telling you, 
Don't neglect what God's put in you. Pay attention to it. Begin to pray about it. Look up, look, find yourself in the Word and focus on that thing and be absorbed in it. Begin to dream again. Begin to be absorbed in these things because there's going to be a time when that gift is going to be called upon. And it's going to be really good if you've paid attention to it before the time. I just have such joy looking out and seeing the, the sincerity, the faith, the, the passion and the intensity in so many of you. How you've, uh, you've taken what God's given you, you've, you've, you've joined in faith and you've, you've, you've been there to pray with people that needed praying. I mean, you laid hands on those that needed laying hands. I mean, you volunteered at the first time somebody just mentioned that there might need, something might need to be done. Many of you are just so precious. In fact, you all are. So precious to God. And I rejoice in what He's already done. But don't settle. Because your progress is going to be evident. God's looking for progress. Start where you are and keep moving. Don't think that God's just going to honor you at an event. Don't wait for events. Life is here. People are here. God is here. Move through life with the gifts that God's given you. Don't wait for the events. Just do it now. Just do it now. Do it at home. Do it at work. Do it at the grocery store. Do it wherever. Just let those things come out of you. And you know what? Maybe there will be a time of training. There's a lot of things that do require training. But training comes through practice. Training is not all book learning. Training is starting somewhere with something and moving up. So, you know, be confident. Not in yourself, but in God. Because it's God who put these things in you to start with. And it's God who gave you all of these things for His purpose and His glory and His kingdom. And it's going to be a good thing. Find yourself in the Word of God and glory in the fact that we've been chosen not because we did anything right, but because He had a purpose and we fit into it.